Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Terence J. Rentnam, thank you so much for joining us today at the Greener Way. Can you introduce yourself for the audience and explain uh, where you are in the sustainability sphere? Thank you, Rachel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. My name is Terence Jarrettnam. I'm a partner at uh, Ernst & Young, uh, based in Melbourne in Australia, and I work in sustainability, have done so for about 30 years now. I guess my main focus areas uh, are around corporate sustainability, particularly climate change, uh, but also the ESG um, sphere of cor corporate sustainability. Um, I also have a number of board roles, um, which um, all sort of theme around um, sustainability and sustainable development goals. Terence, I feel like you and I have been having conversations around sustainability since basically uh, since I started publishing in, in 2011, uh, back, in, back in the days when you were with NetBalance. Um, can you sort of, first of all, how did you get into providing consultancy services to corporates around the sustainability question? And, and, and how has the, the whole sphere changed, at least over the, the 10 years that you and I have known each other, uh, looking through that whole span of, uh, of a 30-year career? So it's a, it's a really good question, Rachel. I, th I think I sort of described this to someone I was mentoring last week to say um, it's one of these things that you pick and, um, you know, over the t time of your career, you end up uh, starting to see that it's, it's actually become quite an important issue. And it's a bit like perhaps doing cyber risk as a degree mm. back in the late 80s or 90s and not really being an issue up until maybe the last decade. And sustainability has been a bit the same. So I ended up um, coming into the space by doing um, the first course on environmental engineering offered in Australia. That was um, at UWA in Perth. Uh, and I graduated mm. um, in 1993 when environmental engineering wasn't um, recognized by Engineers Australia as an engineering degree. So I ended up spending a fair bit of time with Eng Engineers Australia setting up the, helping set up the College uh, of Environmental Engineering. Um, so now mm. I'm, I am a real engineer. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess starting back then, um, coming out of that degree, working in Perth, um, the focus was very much around getting um, approvals and permits for exploration and continued mining activities in, in Western Australia. And that's not where I wanted to focus. So um, when ERM, the company that I was with at the time, was opening an office in, in Melbourne, and, and by that time, I was doing a fair bit of travel to the Eastern States, starting to focus on environmental management and environmental management and environmental reporting and corporate environmental reporting. Um, I, I decided to move to Melbourne to help um, set up that office, uh, and that was in 1998. And really, mm. I guess, over that sort of decade or so, the first decade in Melbourne prior to meeting you, um, it was very much <laughs> around um, environmental reporting, transitioning slowly to sustainability, uh, disclosure, and, and how corporates would measure their performance. Um, in, that, in that sort of window, I also spent three years with a startup that was focused on social responsible investment. It was one of the early startups um, doing research to provide research into funds managers. 
Uh, and, you know, we set up a research questionnaire and started asking questions and didn't get any, any answers and um, all of that sort of fun times. But, um, yeah, by the time I think we met, um, it was very much transitioning into a more holistic sustainability mm. um, sort of discussion for corporates. So what, what's been the through line for you, Terence? Was it the, the environmental? Was it the, the engineering and finding solutions? Was it uh, how, what was the genesis of all of this, this evolution that's now led you to, to where you are at EY? So I, th- I think the thread through all of that has been uh, around measurement of performance. Uh, and specifically starting with environment, but broadening out into social and climate spaces. It, it wasn't, mm. I wasn't the greatest engineer at uni. I, I must admit I was much more, my thesis was around um, the, the way to improve um, environmental impact statements. Uh, so it's very much a qualitative mm-hmm. focus. And I guess I've always had that focus around um, how to um, measure um, and how to improve, uh, and and that's been the thread. And uh, in the in the sort of um, uh, early or late late two thousands, uh, around two thousand and ten, might have been earlier. Um, I did some research. No, it was earlier. It was early two thousands. Um, I, I did some research around how to improve corporate disclosure around these areas and published three, mm. three reports, which um, really, I guess, got me started on um, sustainable reporting and assurance of sustainable reports. It's so funny. You and I started from a similar sort of line, but from very different places. I remember the the beginning Genesis thought for me, I was, I was working in London and I went to one of the early press conferences for Carbon Disclosure con- uh, Project. Uh, this would be around 2003, 2004. Uh, and coming back and my editor saying, oh, look, we can have about 200 words because who really cares what pension funds think about carbon emissions of uh, at that point, FTSE 100 companies, It's uh, yeah. which started me thinking about, well, if it's important to measure it, there must be something important going on in this externality. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think um, what people missed was the rate of change around us mm. and how things were so rapidly changing and how this was going to be so important. So is that sort of the the biggest signpost for you, Terence, as to how the practice of sustainability has evolved? The fact that the pace is now, let's be honest, it's frenetic. Um, or, or have there been other sort of considerations that both positive and negative that have impacted on this? Yeah, it's it's quite, I sort of reflect back and I think, and, I, and we'll get on to this, but I, I sort of think my mind works in a systems way. And I think in terms of future systems. And I think about mm-hmm. 20 years ago, I could tell that this was going to all explode and, and uh, that I just needed to keep doing what I was doing, even though um, I was getting pushed mm-hmm. back from clients and pushed back from, from the market. Um, and and I, I think that because uh, I think I look at sort of big macro trends and I, I can sort of start to see where things are heading um you know as an example and i always give this example when i when i was growing so i moved with my family to australia when i was 15 and when i was growing up in sri lanka we had did not have a waste bin not a garbage (laughs) bin not a recycling bin not a food waste bin Mm. and not a glass bin and we're going to find a glass bin soon and now we're filling these things 
every week we're filling two forty mm-hmm. containers. Uh, and if you start to sort of look at that scale of waste just as one topic, and you think, well, you expand that by X million billion people, well, clearly this is a, a massive issue. Uh, and that's just one example. <laughs> and that's just exploded from no waste bins to three waste bins in the span of uh, mm-hmm. my uh, you know, relatively short <laughs> lifetime. It's three waste bins, as you say, four soon with the purple bin for glass. And then if, uh, you know, you're sort of a uh, uh, part of the lentil belt here in Melbourne, there's the compost bin and maybe the worm farm in the back garden as well. It's uh, (laughs) the way that we manage these things is uh, evolving quickly, isn't it? Exactly. Um, Exactly. And (laughs) so, yeah, I I did feel that um, this is definitely heading the wrong direction. And and now, you know, Mm. I start to think about, other macro trends like um, the sort of um, health crisis that we have globally, and um, you know mm-hmm. that that's also heading in the right direction. Every indicator is um, giving us a signal uh, on that front, and, and you know we'll, we'll come back to where I sort of see these threads combining. How do you help break this down um, for your clients, Terence? Because, you know, obviously, you know, for me, part of the fun is that you can go from a very specific topic to a systems level discussion. Uh, but part of the challenge is, I suppose, if you're, you know, if you're working in a corporate and it's your job to manage, man- you know, measure and monitor, um, it gets overwhelming very quickly. So how do you break down some of these systems level challenges in ways that can become um, appreciable for, for your clients? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Rachel. I, th- I think I've got the benefit of having spent the sort of time I have in consulting, of having um, seen and and mostly even on on the ground uh, the various industries that we're working with. So I've been to uh, mining sites, I've been to manufacturing sites, and been to you know all sorts of different industrial sites and seen the operations, and I've also had the I think privilege of uh, seeing what that then means to you know what, what what the operations mean to executives and managers who who are operating these businesses, um, and you have to speak their language. You have to sort of mm. if you if you know the operation, if you know how it works, and and what the critical elements of the operation are, and, and what the KPIs are for the business, you then start to connect the trends around climate and sustainability and the range of. Uh, sustainability issues that are coming out as biodiversity into what matters to them. Uh, and if you're starting to talk at a very high level, it really doesn't um, mean much to them. But if you can connect back into mm. what does that mean to you this year, what is that going to mean to you in the short to medium term from a business growth point of view or business risk point of view, um, it, it then you know, you then start to um, have cut through. Uh, and um, mm. that's that's been, I guess, a, a bit of a art that I've learned over the years and, and probably have mm. some scars from, from that learning process. Um, but it, it's, um, it's, it's those things that you sort of um, cultivate uh, on how to speak to business and, and the different industries. And, um, you know, once they know that you know their industry, they partly trust you. And once you can connect the risks to their industry, then they fully sort of get it. I find that breaking down process, it's it's useful from uh, from an interviewing perspective as well, from the journalistic perspective, uh, sort of trying to 
take these things in, which are systemic risks yeah. and which people may only be responsible for a particular slice of, um, and then sort of reducing it down without being reductive. And, and you really need to get into their shoes, right? You have to sort of start thinking mm. sitting there with an executive who runs a, a, a you know, as I did last week, um, you know, a tram network in, in Victoria. Mm. And, and you've got to start to connect the risks um, into that business and, and what they must be thinking about day in, day out. So Terence, you don't just bring this sort of systems level consideration to just the job. There's also a couple of really interesting directorships that you and I have talked about through the years as well. Uh, Global Citizen, Fair Trade Australia, New Zealand. How does that round out your particular professional practice uh, by participating in some of these other initiatives? Yeah, so Fair Trade and, and Global Citizen, there's one other that's um, that is quite relevant, which is Food Frontier. It's a board, um, it's an organization that's focused on alternative proteins. Um, and the final mm. one that I'm about to get onto, I'm, I'm um, just waiting for the process to finalize is Amnesty International Australia. And all, mm. all of those um, have climate change in the middle of those. So if you think about fair trade, Fair Trade is uh, an organisation in Australia that's looking to grow the market for fair trade products and help producers in regional in in our region uh, in terms of fair trade cultivation. So that that's um, and and if you think about the impacts of climate change, um, that's mm. quite profound uh, when you think about PNG and Asia where where products come into Australia from. Um, if you think about Global Citizen, it's looking at ra- eradicating poverty. Um, now, climate and sustainability issues are int- intrinsically connected to uh, their mission. Um, Amnesty International, um, you know, focused on social justice and um, human rights. Um, and if you think mm-hmm. about climate, um, it is only going to increase the amount of people movement and refugee movement uh, across the world. And Food Frontier is really focused on alternative proteins. Obviously, the current system of industrial agriculture um, with, you know, just as much emissions as all of the world's transport sector um, is not going to help us meet our 2050 goal and uh, alternative proteins are key to it. And so looking at both um, plant-based but also lab-based proteins uh, Mm. is crucial to that. So that's, that's the thread. And I guess I find that working with those nonprofits um, means that I'm, I'm getting uh, to understand the systemic sort of nature of some of the struggles that we're facing, bring some of the experiences from business to them, but also take back um, some of the things that I'm learning into business the work that I'm doing. How does that interplay uh, play out? What, what, considering with, that you've been with Global Citizen and Fair Trade Australia New Zealand for a few years, um, how has that enriched your practice with your clients? Um, I, don't, I don't know whether there's uh, sort of particular examples of how it's enriched. So there's no specific examples, but I think um, understanding some of the concerns, for example, in, in our region, uh, the Pacific. Uh, now, the Pacific um, has become quite an important area of focus, particularly with geopolitical uh, threats. Uh, and so mm-hmm. businesses that are working in the region or are, are, are sourcing from the region uh, need to understand um, better some of the impacts uh, in the Pacific. And so working with fair traders meant that I 
I understand some of the issues that are happening day in, day out or week in, week out for the farmers in some of the regions that we support. Mm-hmm. Um, and Global Citizen, likewise, is very focused on um, the, the region um, for Australia. So the Australian Global Citizen Board is focused on Australia, but also aid from Australia into the region. And so it is quite connected into understanding regional issues and how that shapes our thinking. Are we at a position yet, Terence, where we can sort of adequately grok the joined up nature of the challenges between human rights, climate change, poverty eradication, the SDGs? I, you know, I often reflect that, you know, the first climate refugees that Australia has had to deal with has been its own citizens, um, you know, watching people being loaded onto military transport um, during the Black Summer of uh, 2019, 2020, for example, or seeing people internally displaced as a result of floods. And I guess suppose a corollary to that is why don't we use the language that we would apply to refugees uh, to the global South when we talk about um, extreme weather events here in Australia, like internally displaced people or, you know, uh, climate refugees even? Yeah. I, so I, I, it's a really tough question depends depends on who <laughs> who's um who's sort of being asked the question i think if you ask the question of the general average person um on the street um, they probably see some issues and there's lots of studies mm. around climate anxiety and, and so on and so forth um i think if you ask the politicians they're getting lots of different views and so they're probably you know trying to sort of um, see things from every perspective. Um, if you ask, um, you know, those that are working in the space and, and businesses that are focused on this, um, I think they do get some of this. Um, but my concern um, is that we, we've probably left a lot of work to be done in this decade. And we're going to find, I think, pretty quickly, and I think we already are finding, that um, the different countries that need to act don't have the ability financially um, to act and really are calling for business and private sector to fund some of this. Um, And so if if you're in a position where you've got a lot of work to do um, and you don't have a lot of resources, um, there's going to be a crisis point and and geopolitical tensions alongside all of this is definitely not going to help. And the pandemic certainly has not helped in terms of keeping our attention on, on the issue. So wh- whenever there's a, a, a sort of threat from the left side, um, you know, mm. y- you then drop everything and focus on, on that and uh, that delays the response even further. So one of my concerns, I think, is that, you know, I mentioned industrial agricultural emissions. So if, we, if you look at the f- food sector and particularly the um, sort of help, um, you know, red meat industry globally, you know, for every kilo of human being, there's two kilos of domesticated animals that are being, um, mm-hmm. you know, farmed for, for, for our consumption. And those emissions uh, are, you know, roughly around 20% of global emissions. And we haven't even started having a discussion about those emissions, uh, right? We're just mm. at the very early stages in Australia and New Zealand uh, and if you look at even the last COP meeting, it was very peripheral. And if, if we've mm. that discussion so late, uh, and mm. you know, whilst other sectors might be transitioning, um, 
you know that that's um to me feel feels like it's it's left uh, things a little bit late to transition that particular sector as an example and there's mm. a number of other hard to abate sectors i think what's interesting there is uh the fact that uh, incre- you see increasing numbers of farmers who are actually asking to be included in these in these considerations because they want that certainty um, for their forward planning uh, for the cycle of, uh, of of their farming production as well. Um, Absolutely. So there's a real opportunity there to uh, where government can backfill, where you know private capital, where business demand is is already there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I think you know you, you can't do any of that um, until you start having a discussion. Uh, about the transition of that sector and we haven't really Mm. started to have that i mean there's been a few reports produced and so on but it's very early days what gives you hope we are in this critical decade uh there's so many you know big bad risks on the horizon uh but is there is there action for you that gives you reason to hope i think working in in the sustainability space rachel you'd know this you'd have to be an eternal optimist uh, and so I, I do look for threads of op- optimism and, and um, I, I do a sort of a Marcus, ESG Marcus sort of column on LinkedIn uh, m- on a monthly basis. And I look for the top 10 sort of changes that we're seeing, both negative and positive. And I try and include some positive trends. Um, one, one of the ones that I recall um, including in the last couple of months was that Amsterdam has set a 50% plant-based um, plant-based consumption for its city, uh, sixty. I think it's sixty percent by twenty sixty, and fifty percent by twenty fifty. Mm. Uh, if I'm not wrong, so I, I start to see some trends like that. I think the biggest sort of marker for me for Australia uh, was the last federal election, um, and that that sort of gave me hope that Australians got it. That climate's important. That integrity um, is important, and those. Those mm. issues really sort of um, brought the new government and the Teals into power and, and looks like, uh, you know, fingers crossed that um, those policies are here to stay now, given the amount of support mm. that the Australians have voiced. So those sort of um, indicators give me hope that the person on the street is getting it and, and, uh, and that things have to move. I just uh, fear that um, movement might be slightly late but um let's let's hope mm. that we can catch up well on that note i think we'll leave it there terence jay retinam thank you so much for joining us today on the greener way thanks rachel thanks for having me thanks for listening to the greener way podcast if you like today's show remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode any feedback contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au i'm rachel allen The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. 
Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement, and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.